Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 25th of September 2022, 11 o'clock service. Ruth Henton speaking on getting the most out of community. Well, as Katie said, we're continuing our series looking at getting the most out of church. And today our focus is on community. That's something we say we take pretty seriously here at Christchurch New Malden, given that our strapline is God's community, in the community, for the community. It's only just over a couple of years since Stephen last asked me to speak on a similar theme. At that point, we were still in the midst of COVID lockdown and meeting online. Our topic on that occasion was finding help through Christian community. I'm not sure whether to assume that Stephen thinks I'm an expert on this topic or that I need a lot more work in this area. Let's go for the former, shall we? Here in Britain, community spirit is something we take pride in, isn't it? This really came into its own during the pandemic when community initiatives and local WhatsApp groups provided essential practical help and support and standing on our doorsteps on a Thursday evening to clap for key workers and to wave to our neighbours became a highlight of the week. We came to appreciate so much that we had taken for granted in terms of human interactions when it was removed so abruptly. Then think of the street parties and festivities just a few months ago in celebration of the Platinum Jubilee an amazing reason to close the roads and get out the trestle tables and bunting. And in the last two weeks, an altogether more sad and sombre reason to display our community spirit, whilst also expressing our gratitude to our late Queen for her service, faithfulness and dedication. In no way was this sense of community more clearly demonstrated than in the giant snaking queue to pay respects at the lying in state. What could be more British, given our love of both community and queuing, than a community-inducing queue? It quickly became so infamous that it needed to be capitalised as the queue, And one quote I read on Twitter said, people in Britain currently fall into two groups, those who are in the queue and those who are avidly following the progress of the queue. Exaggeration though that is, it's certainly true that every news broadcast was full of footage of those queuing and my social media was filled with people's tales of the camaraderie and life-affirming moments they had experienced in the queue. Our collective horror that Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby had apparently queue-jumped, contrasted with the warmth and fuzziness of learning that Sir David Beckham happily queued up for 13 hours. When asked why he hadn't played the VIP card to avoid the queue, he simply said that the queuing was an essential part of the shared experience and he wouldn't have wanted to miss it. I was trying to put into words what it was that made being in the queue so special from what I've read or heard from those who experienced it. 
Everyone I know of has said that the tired muscles, blistered feet and lack of sleep were well worth it, not only because of the opportunity to pay their respects, but also because of that shared experience which David Beckham spoke of. Everyone in the queue had a common purpose which they were united in. Everyone was equal in the queue, whatever walk of life you came from. Friendships were formed, support and encouragement were given. As you'll be able to tell, I myself didn't get to experience the queue as the timings didn't work out on the only day I could have joined. I did, however, have just a glimpse of what the camaraderie must have felt like when I instead queued for three hours to view the floral tributes in Green Park. Even in this shorter time frame, there was opportunity for encouragement and help to be given, information to be relayed, and reflections to be shared. At one point, we were held outside Buckingham Palace while cars were making their exit, and there was quite a crush beginning. One man started to have a panic attack, and immediately people made space around him, offered reassurance and practical advice, and distracted him with questions and conversation. Complete strangers instantaneously became a team in order to bring help to one among our number. As we consider this morning what our church community should look like and how to get the most out of it, let's keep in mind the lessons we can learn from the shared experience of those in that queue. Stephen settled on the word community for our title after considering alternatives such as relationships or fellowship. Fellowship is a key term in the Bible for what we are considering this morning, but it has come to mean something so watered down and misunderstood that it's not as accessible a term as community. I'm sure I've been guilty when leading this service of inviting people to share in fellowship over a cup of tea or coffee in the lounge after the service, chatting together, building up our friendships and welcoming newcomers are definitely very valuable parts of our community life and fellowship. But the danger is that we see a few minutes over a cuppa as the sum total of our fellowship, a box ticked and then off into the week. When you go to church in the States or Canada, they sometimes even take this to the next level by inviting you to fellowship with them over a hot drink in the fellowship hall. Wow, a special place to go to get your fellowshipping over and done with before heading out into the real world. But the Bible defines fellowship completely differently, which should help us to grow our vision for what our church community should look like and how to get the most out of it. So let's have a closer look at what the Bible means by fellowship. If I put my Greek A-level to good use, I can tell you that the word generally translated as fellowship is koinonia, which in turn takes its origin from another Greek word, koinonos, meaning partner, sharer, and companion. So koinonia has been defined as a shared community 
that involves deep, close-knit participation among its people. Did you notice how that definition makes it plain that Christian community involves not only being, but also doing? Tea and coffee in the lounge, as we get to know one another and catch up on news, has a lot more to do with the being part of community life. But the doing part is vital too. In our reading from Acts 2, we heard probably the most well-known reference to fellowship in the Bible. Just after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the disciples were miraculously enabled to speak to the crowd in all of the diverse languages represented. Then, Peter powerfully addresses the crowd, and about 3,000 people are baptised that day and join the ranks of the early church. It is at that point that the description of the fellowship of believers, which we heard from Acts 2, is included. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, devoted is a strong word, isn't it? It's pretty obvious that studying the Bible and prayer are things we should devote ourselves to. But do we devote ourselves to fellowship? It might seem rather odd for fellowship to be given equal weight in that list of priorities of the early, spirit-filled and dynamic church. But if we go back to that definition of a koinonia community, then it all makes a lot more sense. The passage goes on to show us what this actually looked like in practice, and it's pretty radical. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. I don't think that could be any further removed from a coffee and chat definition. Yes, they are fully embracing the being aspects of Christian community, meeting together and even socialising too, but they are also completely radical in the doing aspects, going to such lengths as pooling their resources and selling their property and possessions to help those in need. One of the phrases that jumps out at me is that they had everything in common. Because actually, on the surface, they had very little in common. Even the disciples were an assorted enough bunch. But as the early church grew exponentially, the diversity of its members was increasing vastly too. Different backgrounds, different social statuses, different nationalities... Yet Luke can describe them as having everything in common. And it goes deeper even than the pooling of their resources. As Paul goes on to write in Galatians 3 verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Having everything in common speaks of their unity and equality in Jesus, their common purpose and priorities, their shared community of both being and doing. 
As you read Acts, it seems as though this koinonia community just sprang up naturally. But although Jesus hadn't left them with an instruction manual of how to set up the church, he had certainly made it very plain as to what his priorities were for his followers. When asked in Matthew 22 as to which was the greatest commandment, he cites, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and loving your neighbour as yourself. The early church, united in their wholehearted love for God, take as their mission the sharing of God's love in practical and sacrificial ways with those around them. In our other reading from Hebrews 10, the writer is asking his readers to consider how they can best spur each other on as a community in their mission of practical love and encouragement. And he specifically urges them not to give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. As we have emerged from the pandemic, lockdowns and online services, some have found it a struggle to get back into the habit of attending church regularly. But the old analogy of logs or pieces of coal in a fire burning strongly and brightly together, but quickly cooling and growing dim once removed and isolated, certainly rings true in this regard. So, with that radical definition of koinonia community in our minds, as well as the encouragement to prioritise and safeguard meeting together regularly, and alongside the lessons and inspiration we can take from the cue which we reflected on earlier, what are some practical suggestions as to how we can get the most out of our church community? Firstly, we will get the most out if we put more in. The early church in Acts teaches us to be wholehearted and even radical in our participation. And the writer to the Hebrews wants us to commit and invest in our membership of our church family. Imagine being in the queue, but sticking your headphones in and avoiding eye contact or conversation. I'm sure the experience would then be completely different. Attending church regularly, growing our friendship circles rather than keeping to the same small clique, making the most of social events and activities to broaden our experience of church life, and being open to opportunities to get more deeply and practically involved. These are just some of the ways that we can be increasingly engaged, wholehearted, and even radical in our community life. Secondly, we need, to, uh, we need a balance of the being and doing aspects of fellowship. Some people are very comfortable with the being stuff, loving to chat and socialise. Others are far happier with the doing side of things, be it attending organised activities or volunteering in practical ways. But we will get the most out of our church community and in turn play our part in helping others to get the most out of it, if we strike a balance of the two. Let me take our monthly Friday evening cinema club as an example. We had an advert for the next showing earlier. Although the same lesson could be applied to family cinema club and classic cinema club too. 
I go along to cinema club as often as I can. But after a tiring week of teaching, I'm not always feeling at my most outgoing or social. It's very tempting for me to take my drink and popcorn and sneak straight into the screening area and find a seat rather than making conversation and then rush off afterwards instead of participating in the discussion questions. I want to support the initiative and be part of a community endeavour, but the doing aspect, where I need to get more personally involved, is sometimes lacking. But the times when I make the effort to engage and interact, I always get so much more out of the evening and often feel that I've played a part in someone else's experience broadening too. After the last movie, which was The Father and was about a man with dementia, I ended up speaking to someone whose own father was in the early stages of dementia. Her insight deepened my experience and I'd like to hope that the chance we had to chat was of benefit to her too. Then thirdly, we will be a community that we can all get the most out of if we are united. Now it's important not to confuse unity with uniformity. Just like the early church was full of diverse characters, just like the queue contained people from all walks of life, so our church family here is full of people with different opinions, interests and tastes. Our action song, which we sang earlier in the 9.30 service, Big Family of God, reminds us of that very fact, but also goes out of its way to emphasise that each and every one is loved by God and special to him. It's God and his love which should set the tone for our unity, like a tuning fork for us all to pitch ourselves to. If with the Spirit's help, we each strive to tune ourselves into Jesus' perfect example of love and righteousness, then we will in be increasingly united with one another too, and our differences of opinion and taste will be able to coexist in a harmonious way. In Acts, we see that when the early church was united in this way, and to a radical extent in their case, they enjoyed the favour of all the people and they grew exponentially as a result. Unity will not only transform our church community, it will also be the most wonderful witness to the transforming love of God. Fourthly, our community needs to be one that cares for each other and supports each other practically. The early church sets the bar really high by pooling all their resources and giving them away to help those in need. And we should take seriously the challenge to be that radical and wholehearted in our love for others. But there are plenty of less extreme ways that we can show we care and want to help. Cooking meals for a family affected by illness or bereavement. Offering lifts to hospital appointments or doing someone's shopping. Babysitting, so that a couple can spend quality time together or talk through an issue. The possibilities are endless. 
if strangers could instantaneously form a team to help that man having a panic attack when I was queuing outside Buckingham Palace? How much more should brothers and sisters in God's family find ways to make a difference to those in need of help and support? And finally, fifthly, I want to give a big shout out to home groups as a brilliant means to getting the most out of our church community. If you came to any of the Why I'm a Christian talks in August, you will have heard lots of mentions of the ways in which being in a home group had made a real difference in people's lives. A home group is a small group which typically meets in someone's home, as the name suggests, to study the Bible, pray together and support one another. It's a brilliant way to form deeper relationships than you can over a hot drink in the lounge on a Sunday morning. Just as those I know of who had the shared experience of being in the queue developed friendships and camaraderie with the small number of those immediately around them rather than the masses in the queue as a whole, so we can far more easily find relationship, encouragement, support, help, accountability and partnership within a small group setting. We have groups that meet on different days, at different times of day, at different frequencies to meet a range of needs and situations. If you're interested in hearing about the groups on offer or are wanting to join one, please do let Stephen know so that he can fill you in and help you to find the right group for you. I've been in such a wide variety of home groups here over the years and I couldn't recommend them highly enough. If you'd like to chat about home groups or anything else I've mentioned over a cuppa in the lounge afterwards, I'd love to. So just grab me afterwards. But let's remember that we won't have ticked off our fellowship and church community for the week by doing that. We will only get the most out of our church community by engaging wholeheartedly, getting the balance right between being and doing, being united and actively supporting, helping and caring for others, with home groups being a wonderful facilitator of many of those aspects. Keep in mind the image of that awe-inspiring cue and let's be more David Beckham and less Phil and Holly in our commitment to the shared and united experience of being our branch of the big family of God here in New Malden. God's community, in the community, for the community. Amen. <laughs>